0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk to all those people out there with an entrepreneurial vision. Whether you're ready to pivot from a corporate life to hang your own shingle, or maybe just looking to get into a side hustle, we're going to give the first five steps for getting started. Now, admittedly, there are a lot of books, blogs, you name it, that give you a ton of in-depth education on being in business. I know I listened to a ton of them uh, right before I was getting ready to leave just to get my mindset shifted into what this entrepreneurial place was going to be like. And they're very, very helpful from that standpoint. They're very helpful for helping you to acclimate and to figure out how to be in business. But The actual first place I looked when I was ready to hang my shingle was my best friend from high school, Amy, who actually already had her own business and had for 10 years. And she also happens to be a lawyer, so that obviously helped in order to make sure that I was covering all my bases. April, how did you figure out how you
1: wanted to get started? Sure. So I've talked about this a little bit in a previous uh, podcast, but I made a pretty conscious decision and then spent about six months while I was still at the agency cultivating relationships, networking with people, leaning on people that had been there recently. I think in the agency world, what we see happen is it's not uncommon to go out and do your own thing. And so for me, it was about tapping into that community of people I had and then being really diligent and pragmatic about how I was going to take step after step to ultimately get to being on my own.
0: Yeah, I think it was similar for me too, but it's sometimes it's even hard to figure out, okay, where do you even like start? And that's what this this episode is really all about because we we could have titled it all the things we wish people had told us when we were (laughs) getting started. But we actually were very, very fortunate that we had some very good people who were able to follow in their footsteps and give us really, really good guidance. I mean, I remember sitting down and talking with Amy and she gave me, okay, first you have to do this, then you have to do this. And I'm sitting there on my phone in my little notes section, like adding in all the stuff that she told me to do and almost like in a checklist. And actually we're gonna get to that point because you know how April loves her checklist. So we're, we're gonna have that for you too. So if you're worried about that, nope, we have a checklist coming. But the thing that we also learned, but there's a lot of companies who will charge you a lot of money to do really simple things. And you may be inclined to do them because you just don't know. And that's fine. But what we really want um, is to be able to share our experience with you guys so that you can really leverage your money wisely, because virtually everyone has to bootstrap when they get started. Even if you're still in a corporate job, you're really looking to try to figure out how to like really minimize the expenses as you're getting started. So you're not really like robbing Peter to pay Paul to that, that type of thing. So this topic is a little bit broader than marketing, but it is so extremely fundamental because if you can't, get started. If you can't even figure out what that is, you're not even going to get to the marketing part. So we thought it was really helpful for you guys to have this foundation, this reference, because as we looked, I mean, there's not really a a lot of places out there that really coalesce this thing down into a very easy to follow, easy to kind of check off step-by-step process. And you you guys know this is what we're all about. So that's what we're going to do today. And also for the sake of simplicity we're going to focus more on freelancing and freelancing just being um, selling services um, in versus selling products now if your vision is to sell a product and you have a really like, fantastic product I mean this podcast is in this episode is still for you because a lot of the things are similar especially these early steps and if we talk very specifically about freelancing you'll see the nuances that you're able then to to pull out and be able to apply it to product delivery as well and we'll try to make some of those connections for you guys on the way and because this is so dense, and this is a ton of information, we're going to break this up into a two-parter so you guys can have some time to digest what we're saying, get some of these steps underneath your belt, and then come back and you can hear the next one. So with that, we are going to talk to you first about the very first five things that you need to do in order to get started, all right? So for the first thing that you need to do in order to get started is you need to define what you sell, okay? And this one I've talked about a lot because it's so critically important. So when I was getting ready to leave PNG, g my career coach, Scott Motts, who, a little plug, also happens to be um, our sponsor. His company, Profound Performance, is our sponsor. Um, he put it to me this way. He said, if you lost your job tomorrow, what IP do you have that can be monetized? And when we say IP, we aren't saying something that is patented. We're saying something that you know or understand or that you do that people are going to be willing to pay for. And this could be something more tangible like website creation or podcast production, or it can be more consulting-based like social strategy or leadership cheating. Either way, you need to figure out what it is that's going to make somebody choose you. Remember when we've talked about branding, You have to define who you are, how you're different, and why do people want you. And this really starts establishing why do you exist? What's going to be your rationale for actually doing business? And this is going to be very, very important and fundamental in the communications you're going to have because it actually goes beyond what you do. Um, You know, me and April have a, a marketing and branding agency. We do marketing and branding. But the way that we go about doing it is very different than just doing the work. And it's this unique approach that helps you to define what it is you're going to sell. So do you do it better, faster, or cheaper? Does your style of leadership training utilize a novel approach or perspective that is yielded impactful results that nobody has seen? And usually here, we're, we always talk about Finding the thing that's a little bit counterintuitive. And that counterintuitiveness really then sparks something different. They should give a piece a person another reason to consider you or a way in. Um, so think about really what that is. Um, initially for me, it was all about brand love strategy and being able to um, develop brand building behind this novel connection of creating brand love. For us and, and forthright people, it's about on-demand marketing, You know, whereas a lot of agencies charge hefty retainers and will you know, charge you that uh, regardless if you're using them or not or using all their services or not. We focus on giving you what you need when you need it, and that's our promise That and the forthright promise that we put, and that we're going to deliver quality work when you need it. And we're not gonna charge you more than what it should cost in order to deliver that work. So these are fundamental things when people think about forthright people that it's synonymous with who we are and it's actually what we sell. Yes, we sell good quality, branding and marketing work, but we also sell a promise that we're gonna do it in a way that's forthright so that what you get is what exactly what you need when you when you need it.
1: Yeah. And I think said another way, it's either your philosophy or your approach to the work. And this has to be really, really strong in order for you to Define that why am I different point of view so that you can uniquely go sell whatever it is you want to sell. And that has been a huge part of our journey. It even continues to change sometimes or morph slightly. We build upon it, but we always come back to it. And it's also a really good way to start examining business when opportunities come in. You're able to assess whether it aligns with not only the type of work you do, but your philosophy about what you want to sell and who you want to partner with.
0: And it's what people come to expect from you then, too. And it's how people talk about you and share your reputation. And that becomes really critical when you're going to market yourself and you want that re- what mouth to spread in a way that builds advocacy for your business and who you are.
1: Absolutely. You want yeah. to start having people repeat back to you what your mission was from the beginning, maybe in different words, but to the same point and kind of essence of what it is you do.
0: Yep. Yep. The next one is choose a business name and then set up an LLC and get an EIN. So I'm going to let April take this one.
1: This is a super fun, super dry one, but it is absolutely essential to getting started with your business. Um, So these are kind of the components, if you will, that allow you to legally do business and be able to do things in the long term like your taxes and all of those types of things. So... A business name, we'll talk a little bit about the journey to that and how to get to that in a bit. But you do have to have that when you want to set up your LLC. So an LLC, once you have your name chosen, is what allows you to do business. So you go to your state's .gov site. Ohio even has a downloadable PDF that kind of walks you through this process. And the nice thing about this is right on that site, you can search whether there are other businesses with the same name as you. So this is kind of a... You know, shortcut to figuring out whether you're going to have to do some more work on your name or if you have to add something to it. Um, really, you can very quickly get to, is this available where I am to do business in the space that I want to be in? So you sign up for your LLC. You make sure your name is correct. But for the sake of this podcast, we said we were going to talk about entrepreneurship only. So you're either going to be a single member LLC or an individual sole proprietorship. If you have a partner, there are different options. Um, we don't profess to be lawyers. So this might might be a case if you're not totally sure you want to consult a lawyer or an accountant because there are implications when you go to file your taxes and figure out how to claim things and how to pay yourself and all of that. But once you have an official LLC, then you need what's called an EIN. And this is the number that identifies you for tax purposes. We often say this is like your social security number for a business because truly that's what it is. Now, you no longer use your social security number when you're filing taxes and things. You use your EIN. Um, and all of these forms to do, you know, to get those things set up, literally take less than five minutes. The uncertainty can come in when you're not sure exactly the steps or where to go, but we're here to tell you that these are things you should be able to do by yourself. There are companies out there that try to make money on doing it for you. This is a place where we really want to make sure that you don't spend your money doing that. Um, really, it's something you can do quite simply by yourself. And then the final thing you need here, in addition to those is an operating agreement. You can totally Google. There are tons of them out there. Um if you know people, they'll share a copy of theirs likely. I mean, they're pretty dry legal jargon. In my industry, I was able to just pick one up from a friend who had gone on her own. It's all about like rights to work and who owns what and how you're gonna work together, all of those types of things. Um, uh, the operating agreement really, helps establish you as a business and what you're going to do and kind of proves that you're viable as a company. Uh, if you feel like you're still not sure with the process, or maybe it's a little more complicated than you're willing to take on, find a small business lawyer. Again, don't sign up online with some company that has no face and pay them a bunch of money. You might end up needing that lawyer in the long term anyway, and establishing that relationship early on is super helpful. If you need that extra source of comfort, that is what we would recommend.
0: Yeah, and I think, to make sure you check with what your state's requirements are for LLC establishment and ongoing renewal. Um, Some states require you to pay a yearly fee to maintain your LLC and some will ask for some level of records in order to demonstrate that you're actually operating a business. Um, Also um, check to make sure um, and see if you have to submit your operating agreement. In Ohio, you don't need to, you just need to keep it on record. Everybody who's going to do anything official regarding your business is going to ask for it. So it's definitely something that you need to have, but you don't need to file it. But um, some other states do require you to file your operating agreement and um, and ask you to maintain it. So uh, take a look at that and just make sure, um, again, on your states.gov site, should have all those rules and regulations for how to um, establish and then maintain your, your LLC. All right. So the next Uh, item of uh, your entrepreneurial journey checklist is to set up a bank account.
1: Another super dry one. So I'll go ahead and take this. Uh, For accounting purposes, you really need to keep your business separate from all personal accounts. It's cleaner when you file your taxes. It's really easy once you have the LLC and EIN. I mean, I think I went into the bank and spent, I don't know, 30 minutes filling out the paperwork that needed to be done. Mm Um, if you don't keep it separate, I can just say you might have the best organizational skills in the world. It's going to become nearly impossible to keep things separated from each other. Not to mention being able to itemize what everything was and where it goes and all of that. It's just a really slippery slope. So do yourself a favor, keep it really clean from the beginning. And also we recommend getting a business credit card for the same reason. Now, Sometimes if you haven't been established long enough, depending on the bank, they may either give you like a super small amount that makes it ridiculous to even have the card, or they might say you haven't been in business long enough. If that's the case, then of course you will have to hold. But if you can get it, do it and keep checking back on that. Um If you're going to have to use your personal credit card, I mean, literally every time you make any kind of transaction, you really need to mark it down and keep it separate. The other good thing about the business credit card is it separates your personal credit score from your business. So it gives you a little bit more protection on there. If anything were to happen with the business, it's not going to be reflected on your personal score. Um, And the other thing we would say is... Set up a plan for how you're going to withdraw money, how frequently, how you're going to pay yourself, how you're going to check expenses versus your salary, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, for Ann and me, we'll get into our bookkeeping in a little bit, but we just monthly reconcile and uh, take care of the expenses and then go ahead and pay ourselves. But you do want to keep track of that. As well, and be really diligent, and also think about whether you're going to pull some stuff aside to invest in the business. So all of this should happen within your business accounts only, and like we said, if at all possible, make sure they are entirely separate.
0: Yep, I totally agree with that. It's just going to be easier from the long run, and it's going to make everything so much smoother to be able to document and then um, track and then present uh, at tax time. So absolutely agree. The next one is reserve the domain name and establish a company email. So the one other thing you should be doing as you're contemplating your name, and we're gonna talk about this in a second, is you always need to Google it, right? So you Google it for a few different reasons. One, to see what other businesses might be associated with your name. So as you start marketing, you're gonna see um, the level of SEO or SEM you're gonna to have to do. So search engine optimization or search engine marketing in order to uh, make sure people can find you and find you easily. Um, but you also want to make see if anybody actually has the name because that may impact whether or not you actually choose that as your company name. So it's just a good uh, check for that uh, in order to make sure that you have a name that's free and clear and that you can build a brand around that it's not going to be hijacked um, or that when you go file your LLC, uh, you're going to be rejected. So um, we use GoDaddy as our domain provider. There's other providers too, but that's the one that's been working well for us. Um, and you. I would just suggest going in and just, even if you're not going to use it right away, just buy it for a year. It's usually not that expensive if it's a very um, nondescript name. When you start adding some numbers and some other specific words, it can get very expensive. But if it's nondescript um, and, and nonspecific, it actually is very affordable. We're talking maybe $100, $150 for the whole entire year. And so then you own it and then nobody else can take it. Um, You can also get email with your site, which we highly suggest and we do as well. It makes it look a little bit more legit versus just using a, g- a generic email account. And what this does is, when you're starting to market yourself and you're starting to network um, with other people, there's a level of credibility associated with that. It's like, "Oh, hey, this this person is actually, you know, doing this for real. Um, and now, can you also make engagements with a Gmail account and Yahoo account? You can, but for a few dollars extra to have your name associated with your actual business, it just adds so much more credibility.
1: Yes, exactly. I, I would say, you know, very honestly, I didn't do this when I started Threadly uh, on my own. I did use my Gmail for a while and I don't know why I didn't do it because I always felt like I kind of cringed when I would send a note from my Gmail account, even though my threadly, you know, logo and title and all of that was in the signature. It just felt like a disconnect that was a little bit unnecessary. And so this is one where Anne jumped right in right away and as soon as we had our name was like, Okay, I'll go reserve it. Um, and I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's one thing that I don't have to look into, and that now I can, you know, just have that a little more professional, and I don't have to give that pause every time I go to send something.
0: And it works, you know. Especially if you're going to have other partners or other people who are going to work from underneath your business, because you can assign them an email as well, and so you all look like you're coming from the same business. Otherwise, it would have been April from her Gmail and from my Gmail, and we're trying to sell, you know, forthright people. It's just it's it's too confusing for folks. So it's not that expensive. We highly suggest it the next thing you need to do is you need to establish an office. right? So many of you, and I, and I say office in air quotes, because many of you are likely working from home right now. Um, but for some reason, when entrepreneurs are starting out, they all feel like they need to have some place to work. And even this was before COVID as well. A whole, like a, an office, an actual office space puts a lot of pressure on you if you are just starting out, because there's rent associated with that. There's Electricity, associated with that. There's Wi-Fi. I mean, so you have to pay a whole bunch of expenses before you even have a business established and you have uh, income coming in. Now that all being said, like you know, I, I led with many of us are are still working from home, and that's totally legit. The thing is, is you want to actually set up a space that you can call an office. Not just from the ability to facilitate working, which is actually very, very important um, to have a physical space that you call an office for all the psychological reasons that that implies, but also because you can um, deduct that from your taxes. So when you set up your space, anything that is um, the same percentage of that space to your overall home, assuming you own your home, I think it's different if you rent it, so you need to double check with an accountant on that. You can deduct that percentage from all your other bills. So, for example, my desk is in a our, our living room. Now, it's interesting because you, your office space cannot double as a different space. So it can't d- double as a bedroom. So when my accountant found out I had a sleeper sofa, that was a big uh-oh. Now, we're not gonna live my super sofa out of our living room. So, what I did was I just measured the space around the desk, a chair, and like my filing cabinet. That became my (laughs) quote unquote office. And that square footage is now what I can use then to deduct from all of my other bills. So if you if, if that's confusing to you and you're not exactly sure what I just said, consult your accountant. They this is what they do. It should be the first thing that they would ask of you is okay. What's your what's your square footage of that you're deeming your office? And then that percentage you can then you know, you can charge a percentage of your electricity, your wife, your Wi Fi, your mortgage, my cleaning people. Like you can deduct all that um, as business expense. Um, you also may want to choose to get a PO box uh, just to keep your business mail separate from your personal personal mail. Similar to what we said about your finances, you know, sometimes you might just kind of keep a, a an air of nondescript one because having a PO box feels a little bit more official. But also, you may not be wanting to give the world your personal. You know, address to your home, depending on what you do. So um, that might also be, again, not a very expensive thing to do. Like I think I pay sixty dollars every six months for um, our PO box. So not very expensive, but it just provides a little bit more of uh, an official kind of behavior, but as well as kind of keeps you a little bit nondescript from
1: from the whole entire world. And I just want to emphasize again, the point about an office and and I talk about this all the time, where do we want to invest money? This is absolutely not somewhere to invest money. If you're going to invest any dollars, it needs to be working hard for the business and having and paying for an office space, even in those like, you know, common workplace spaces where you can rent a desk, all that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, if you can get away without that expense, it just puts that much less pressure on you. And you I mean, you really should cons- reconsider if that's something that you think you're looking to do right now.
0: Right. And if you need a space to have a meeting, you'd be surprised on how easy it is to facilitate those things at places like, you know, a Starbucks or, you know, at a restaurant where you can get a big table. And and, and, and a lot of times those meetings are generally go better over like some food and, you know, you're sharing some food and some drinks and stuff like that. And that just helps facilitate a, a meeting environment anyway. So, um definitely think you should agree with April. You should try without one before you actually invest in one. The next one is setting up bookkeeping. April.
1: Yeah, this is my world too. So, We really like Quicken self-employed. There are many, many apps out there. I think this one for us is it's cheap. It's like $6 a month. And then you do pay fees depending on how people pay you. Um, But it allows us to keep track of everything all in one place and do things far less manually than you would have to do otherwise. So it becomes a little bit of a one-stop shop where you can invoice your clients, you can pay your vendors, you can track your mileage, you can link your bank account and your credit card. And so it just, automatically populates expenses and then asks you, how do you want to classify them? And then from there, you can even, and I could geek out on this all day, but you can go and set up rules like, every time I go to this place, it's under this category. So... It can be as organ- organized as, or not as you want it to be. But the point about it is it's the one place where you have record of everything. And this is where I go every month when I'm looking to reconcile, like I said before, and figure out what Anna and I spent versus what we're going to pay ourselves, all of those types of things. And the other nice thing about it is I think it's a pretty easy system to find out how to do something if you don't know how to do it. So I continue to evaluate services based on this, right? I mean, Anne and I profess to try to make the world easier for our clients. That's kind of the philosophy I take. So anytime I've had an issue and not known like, how do I set up a new vendor? Or how do I send recurring invoices? All of those types of things. I found it to be really at my fingertips to just kind of type it in and find out from there. So Regardless of what you choose, I mean, we're not being paid by Quicken or anything like that. So you can find whatever service works for you. But bookkeeping is just another thing that you, one, don't want to lose track of, and two, don't want to wait until it's tax time because inevitably you're going to miss something, mess something up, et cetera.
0: Yeah, in the Quick and self employed is really good if you're just a solopreneur. That's um, what we both started with. When you start adding people in a partnership, you actually have to upgrade to one of the more business oriented ones that you can both be in, and that one is a little bit more expensive. There's a little bit more hidden costs, so just be aware of that because we've had to track down um, these costs that just kind of come in as Quicken like accounting something or uh-huh. other. And we're like, what? What in the heck is that? So part of it's Credit card charges, part of it's you know, the charges of the actual quick. And so just be aware, just a heads up, that that um, is what actually can occur. But it's still a very easy system and it facilitates a lot of the business administration. So you don't have to work as hard and think as hard about it. Um, The next one is you need to consider business insurance. So this one is probably one that you guys, uh, most people, most entrepreneurs that haven't heard of or considered. Um, I know I had it until my friend Amy mentioned this to to me. And, you know, Amy needs to have it. Her clients um, require it. She works, does a lot of government jobs. Um, She does things having to do with roads and bridges and stuff like that. So it's a liability thing for her. But Because we're in such a litigious environment, we highly suggest it as well. Again, you're looking at something that's not going to cost you a lot of money a um, couple hundred dollars a year, right? So a couple hundred dollars a year. And it protects you. It gives you, your company some liability protection. It protects your space for which you work, regardless of what how you define that space. The equipment and needs, you need in order to do your job. So it just protects all those things in your ability to do business and uh, in, in, in interact in business without having a ton of fear. So we highly suggest that as a... Um, just a just to give you a little bit of security, um, and make you feel good that your business is protected overall.
1: And you could go to extreme, like I do. I uh, come from a family of lawyers, workers' comp lawyers, in particular. So not only do Anne and I have business insurance, but I have workers' comp insurance for my nanny and for the woman that cleans my house. So if anything were ever to happen, they would be protected. Um, so just a you know little anecdote there, but I think the point here is just to make sure you give yourself peace of mind in the right way. And I know insurance can be such a tough thing, right? Because It's something it's always called a necessary evil, I feel Mm -hmm. like. But you'll be thankful you have it for your peace of mind and especially thankful if something were to ever happen.
0: Yeah. And if you're a contractor or somebody who's doing physical work for other people, you're also going to want to make sure you're bonded and insured. Everybody is looking for that now because nobody wants you to get hurt on their property. So um, and be responsible for that. So please, please, please make sure you you pay for that and you have that because everybody's going to be asking you about that. Okay, so we've just thrown a lot at you. And actually, if you're counting, I had said five. Um, we gave you seven. Um, so we gave you a couple bonuses. Um, so... Uh just there you go. That's that's your Tuesday, a little Tuesday uh treat for you. Um but seriously, uh you can have all of this done in 72 hours and for really what we've been everything that we've been kind of putting together for you here, less than five hundred dollars. I mean, so you're not investing a lot of money here in really establishing the basis and the infrastructure for what's gonna be a business that is gonna be extremely important to you and it's gonna help uh grow and, and help uh really your life be uh, what you want it to be. Um, um, in order to help facilitate this, too, we've actually created a checklist as well. So you can download that from our website in order to guide you. Because I said April likes her checklist. I told you we we're going to have one. <laughs> um, and it's going to include uh, everything that's going to be in part two as well. But you know, we'll go ahead and get that up there so you guys have that.
1: Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on.
0: And next, we usually go into our in the trenches section um, where we answer questions we have been getting related to the theme of the show. But we had a request to share more personal anecdotes and experiences. And since this one obviously is an experience that me and April both have and we've shared together, uh, we thought it might be good for you guys to kind of hear a little bit more of that um, in depth uh, kind of the uh, discussions that we had had in order to get to certain places um, in in our entrepreneurial journey. So we're going to talk a little bit about two specific topics um, and uh, some of the challenges we had and how we worked through them. So for the first topic, it's on naming. So we said we're going to come back to naming
1: Yes. So naming is part of my call it repertoire. It's a lot of what I used to do with regard to brand strategy um, for the duration of my career. Obviously, anytime you're bringing forth new products or companies or, you know, fill in the blank naming becomes a big part of that. So while Anne was jumping right in to get our domains, you know, secured and all of those types of things, the name from the beginning was pretty important to me. And so once we decided that first point about what we were going to sell, and we had established the approach by which we were going to do the work and conduct ourselves, one of the things that Anne and I talked a ton about, and this is our approach with each other, is being Really direct and telling people what they need to hear versus what they want to hear, and how does that come to life in a respectful manner? But really, we felt like that was a really strong part of the foundation and how we were going to stand out and be different from other people. And that extends to all the things we've talked about before, like giving you only what you need when you need it, and not raking you over the coals from a charge perspective. And really, I think it's just a philosophical thing that we both agree with. You know, why not? be honest and direct in the way that you communicate, it really ends up the best for all parties involved when that happens. And then I would say secondarily, the other piece of that too is what we didn't want to be. So we didn't want to be direct to the point of being mean to people. So that was kind of the fine line. And we wanted to treat everyone with respect and and make sure that people felt like they were treated as they should be while we were focusing on this approach. So we had a list of characteristics in addition to those that we wanted to focus on. We did all this work that we talk about on ourselves, right? What was our tone of voice going to look like? And the name was a big part of that. And so my favorite thing to do, which is giving away my secret, is going to thesaurus.com. I love vocabulary words, um, I that's another thing that I completely geek out on all the time um, but I don't want to be obvious in the word choice but I also don't want to go so far overboard that people are like what the heck does that word mean right I'm also just philosophically not a huge fan of made up words um, although my other company Threadly was a little bit made up but for the most part I think actually using words is just a closer connection point to people. And it's actually harder to find the right words. And so that's just a philosophical point for me. So I don't know how many hours, how many meetings, how many discussions we had about the name. In a lot of ways, I think it was harder for us than the foundation of what we wanted to stand for was like really getting this right, because this is where we're going to put our stamp in the ground and create our logo and all of that. And so the word forthright came up. And I think we both just pretty instantly felt a strong connection Mm -hmm. to that. I think there's a strength to the word. Obviously, it means direct, um, but it means direct coming from a good place in my mind. And so we landed on that word and we were like, okay, that's what we want, right? Well, then Anne goes to do her investigation and we find that we can't get forthright.com. So then we went into the discussion about what else to put with it. And we very simply came to people, Because that was who we were going to serve, and that very directly brought the human element into things for us. And so I think at that point, we felt really good about the name, and it was kind of like, now what do we do with that moving forward?
0: Yeah, and I think uh, uh, the, some of the insights leading into that also are really, really key. So I mean, we you've heard me and April talk about the fact, and we're going to talk about it a lot more here in an upcoming episode, that she came from the agency side and it came from the corporate side. And the, one of the, uh, the, the remembrances that we bonded over was the fact that we never could seem— to talk clearly to each other over the table or over the, you know, whatever, however we were having a meeting, we just never felt that we could you know, have that clear conversation. Um, when the agencies would, would tell us back to us, they would call it the, the well, the p and sandwich, where you have to say <laughs> something good, something bad, and then follow with something good. But for some reason, nobody actually ever heard the something bad piece. They heard the good things, and they take that and run with it. Well, you said you love the work. I said, I love the work. But, you know, and it it needs this and that and the other, but we appreciate all the effort that you put into it. But, and so it's really hard psychologically for people to really uh, uh, internalize that part in the middle because it feels bad. Like people don't want to be told that, you know, somebody doesn't like their work. And it's, also about being respectful. So, you know, it's not about like going in and just like tearing somebody to shreds or tearing somebody apart, but it's about saying, hey, listen, this is not what I expected, or this is not what the kind of work that, you know, you're capable of, or I expect, you know, I I was thinking that it was going to be something more like this. I mean, those are very honest, very forthright conversations to have. And when you hear me and April say, especially at the beginning in the interlude to the podcast that we're cutting through the BS, that's part of the BS is that there's generally a lot of like, hey, I'm going to make you feel good. Let's, you know, me, I want to feel good. Let's all just feel good about the crap we just created, you know, and that's just not what we're about. And so it's about being respectful. And so we wanted it to be respectful. So that's, where forthright also was going kind to of root it in was and but also be human, mm-hmm. which is what the people became about, right? And so it's about being directly, you know, in in and honestly forthright to humans in an effort all coming from a good place of wanting to help and being able to share our experiences, our expertise in order to create really, really fantastic work that you're going to be blown away by. And then we're going to create it together because we're all people. and There's a human aspect of it. So I think that's really, really important to kind of figure out too. And that goes back to how you're different and and the brand element of it, of like where is this coming from? Like, what is this inspired by? What is your, again, your insight or that counterpoint that, you know, is unique to you that you can then build your whole, uh, I call it the ethos or your equity around? Because it's very easy and, you know, a lot of people do this is to say, we're the April and branded marketing agency <laughs> or you know, you know, or some combination of our names. And there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just really hard to develop a brand from that because there's no story that is, is, is there's no story behind it. You have to create a reputation, you have to create credibility behind the name in order for the name to have any resonance with the people that you're trying to attract as clients. And that becomes pretty difficult to do.
1: Yeah. And I think just personal kind of pet peeve for me is the fact that when you put your name on something, it feels like it automatically sets a timetable and starts to limit that company because Mm -hmm. it's tied so closely to the founder's name that it doesn't feel automatically inclusive of the others that are going to work there. And I know there are reasons for doing that. And there are certain names that people just know and all of those types of things. But for me, I was just super opposed to that because I felt like if this is something that I'm going to build and I'm going to work with others and I want a legacy to be left, I don't want it necessarily to just be tied to my name or Anne's name. I want it to represent something that not only my clients can get on board with, but people that want to come work with us attached to philosophically right off the bat.
0: Right, because then you start layering names and you start selling like a law office, (laughs) dentist's office, doctor's (laughs) office. I mean, it's... it's, And in those kinds of environments, it becomes becomes justifiably so because that's the tradition of it all, but we would still argue that that's not the right approach if you're trying to build a brand around your business. Uh, So... That's food for thought for sure. Um, And, you know, just a couple of the points to really make sure you guys took away is that it's really important for your name to tell a story. And I think that's what you're hearing us say. Um, It's part of your branding. It's part of your equity. It's going to be part of what makes your brand live. um, It's going to be part of the reason why people choose you. It's going to be what they share uh, about you. Um, So just keep that in mind as you're Thinking about the name, it's it it should be something that actually tells a story, or that's going to allow people to easily reference something that they like about you in in a way that's conducive to building your business. Um, and, and if possible, it should state some sort of value. It should it should represent some sort of value that. Is going to be very critical for your, your business to in, embrace and you want people to embrace about your business because that's going to be a foundation of what's going to be different about you. So if you can embrace that and you can integrate a value into your name, it just makes the whole idea of what you do easier to talk about, e- like I said, easier to share, easier to represent, easier to build a brand around and easier to grow and scale.
1: Yes, and one final comment from a maybe more of a tactical uh, perspective is: don't give up too easily. So you heard me mention that forthright wasn't available, but forthright people was. Don't just throw out the whole idea if you find out you can't own that name. If you really feel compelled that that's what you're meant to stand for, then keep it and figure out another way. I would say honestly, we are more happy with being forthright people Mm -hmm. than we. Ever would have been just being forthright. I mean, I think when I think back on it, it felt like something was missing, even though the idea of it was right. Similarly, with my previous business, I was just going to be thread because I wanted to be the thread of the story throughout all of the work that happened. But that just felt a little bit too hard. It also was not something that I could secure a domain for, which is probably why I didn't end up doing it in the long run. But so then it was Threadly, which had a little bit more of a softer you know, lean to it. It felt more like there was more meat behind it, perhaps more meaning. I got a lot of questions about why. So I just say that to remember that it is kind of creative and legal together, uh, but you can find ways to make it work for you if you feel really compelled that you've landed on the right thing hmm
0: I agree. All right, so the second topic we're going to delve into is what you are selling, because this is a, um, it seems to be a hard one for people to get started. So we thought we'd share both of our experiences for how we went through this process. Um, and I'll start because um, I led with it when I was talking about Scott and in, in, in the conversation Scott and I had um, about really just laying out what it was that I knew that I didn't think that anybody else knew like me that I could sell and be of value to others, and it's actually kind of a difficult exercise. <laughs> so you actually need to give yourself some space and some time. You kind of have to think about it. You need to come go back to it because I think as a society we have a hard time really acknowledging what is very you know good about us what our strengths are what we do uniquely well even if we do it in context of other people um we notice this when people do resumes and are in interviews too they like to hedge a lot well it was really the team and you know and all those politically correct ways of being able to represent that was more than just you so you don't feel so conceited when you actually say no actually I did that so this is the actual time that you have to sit down and really think about what did you offer what do you do that actually makes it better, like whatever it is, whether it's the service, whether it's a product you're developing, what do you actually do that makes it better? And you just, it's just a stream of thought, you know, for me, it was like, you know what, I'm, I am able to connect dots. I I connect dots very well that people, other people, just don't see. I'm a very good listener. I can listen to what other people's roles are, and I can then very easily kind of understand what's in it for them, and be able then to construct a approach that wins across the board. Um, I am able to speak everybody else's speak, and that's partly because of my background. And I started as an engineer in R and D, and then able to go all the way up through communications. everybody had that experience, so I'm able to speak everybody else's language. I was been part of some of the biggest uh, advertising uh, uh, programs and platforms and campaigns that p has ever done. Um, so I had specific insight into that and a specific way of being able to develop those programs that other people have never had that experience or never been able to accomplish that um, as well. So that gave me some specific things that I then had to figure out was my my specific contribution to all that and more again than than what i did i mean i could tell you i did the communications work for all these these programs but that wouldn't tell you anything about what makes me different but what i started understanding about what i did that others understood but weren't able to do and frankly as well as um i i was able to do it which is really find the emotional connection and really leverage that emotional connection in a way that was almost process-oriented. So, process-oriented in the in the process of brand building and marketing, and everybody, I mean, creating brand love, cultivating brand love is not a new concept. Doing it in, in as in a process is a new concept, and that became something that I actually practiced. I th- I, I told you guys before, before I left PNG and and started to understand that that actually worked not just in where I was in Fabric Care, but it worked in other businesses too. And then I found out when I was starting to work with some clients at Junkly that it worked for them as well. So that became a foundation for what I started to know that I didn't sure everybody else knew like I knew it. And because of my ability to be able to connect dots, I was able to create these connections that was like aha moments or opened up spaces that people didn't even realize that they could actually go into. So that became the foundation for the bus- my my business, which I call go for two and I can actually I didn't share why how I came up with that name, but I can um, but it was all about cultivating brand love and brand love being the thread that ties all businesses together that have been successful in translating a product, whether it be a service or a actual tangible product into a brand and then into a franchise. And this became the basis of uh, what Gopher 2 was. And so nice segue into Gopher 2. Gopher 2 is um, I wanted something to stand for the ability to take a risk, a calculated risk, but lean into the, the, the desire to want to win. And so when football teams go for a two-point conversion, they are st- stating that, hey, I'm going for the win here. I'm not just, you know, kicking an extra point just to, like, be s- satisfied with, you know, putting the boys points on the board. I want to go for the win. And that's what I wanted the uh, my clients to also embrace. So that's what uh, Go For Two became about.
1: Yes. And I think for me, something that Ann and I definitely share and one of the foundational things that I think we overlap on, albeit in different ways, is the ability to connect dots. So for my journey, when I look back all the way on making the decision to go to design school and then get an MBA and then enter the business more on the business side, there was always kind of a pragmatism to the way that I did things. And I tried not to put the pressure on myself to say, what am I going to do even like five years from now? It was always more about what is the next thing that I need to learn to be better at what I do? And so I did that with school for sure. But then I also did that in the companies that I chose to go work for. So, for example, if I felt like I had an outage in qualitative research, I joined a company that had particular skill in that. And once I mastered that, I went on to a different office that focused in quantitative research so that I could master that. And so I would say probably the first, call it seven or eight years of my career, was really spent on amassing the experiences in all of these different areas so that I felt like... I could speak to most of the things we did. Now, similar to Anne having an engineering background because I had a design background, that gave me a distinctive leg up to be able to work with creative folks and have a bit of credibility that maybe others didn't have because I could speak their language. Now, they constantly tease me that I had gone to the dark side. But, um, you know, it gave us a different rapport than, say, someone who was more classically trained on the business side. But then I also had the MBA so that I could work with those folks, too. So, I was a connector for sure and then also kind of a go-between. And so I started to realize that my strengths lied in the relationship building paired with the strategic work that grounded all of the creative work we did within the agency. And so once I got to that point and that became more solid in my mind, that was a natural, I think, progression into leadership and how do you build teams and how do you transition so that others are doing the work and you're overseeing it. And, and that was you know where my career went next. And the final point became about trying to create end-to-end work that felt really strategic, but had the storyline all the way through from brand inception, all the way through to like advertising commercials. And I'd been part of so many companies and groups and teams where you're responsible for part of it, but not all of it, or things got lost in translation and you'd build this great brand strategy. And then you'd see the product on the shelf and be like, that is not what we intended, you know? So I wanted to take this big chance to kind of link it all together based on all the things I had learned over the years and the teams I'd worked with. So the last agency I landed at, that really became my job over time. It was to lead the account team, yes, but then build a strategy team that would allow the work to have that foundation that didn't always happen in an advertising agency. And so to me, when I look back, that was really the platform for me to go out and be on my own because I did that. That. And it was good. But I think part of my personality is to automatically think, how can I do it better? And for me, I think there were just barriers that come with agencies that I wasn't going to be able to individually overcome. So when Anne and I talk about overhead and large teams and, and not being able to, quite frankly, move the work as fast as we wanted, paired with the fact that personally, I just felt really disconnected from the work. I mean, I had a good team, but I wasn't doing it day to day. And that was really what drove me. And so I just felt like a little bit like the life was being sucked out of me. So My pivotal moment, I think, was really around this idea that I had done all this stuff to build my own experience and skills. I'd built teams, I'd built a big team across the organization. Now I wanted to just go do it for myself. And that with all those things that I saw that were not necessarily broken, but just part of agency life that I thought I can do that differently and better. And so that paired with the fact that from the freelance community, what I consistently heard is that clients like to use freelancers because they could Do the work obviously cheaper, faster, all those things that I said agencies can't do. But what what would often happen is that disconnect would happen in a different way, because the client would be responsible for a role that really wasn't theirs in translating all the steps of the process and the steps to getting the work done, between people that were doing the work. And since they didn't speak that language, and I did, that is what I built the original idea of threading around. It was. Doing things, yes, cheaper, yes, more efficiently, but being kind of the spearhead of these teams and bringing these people together, bringing them in at the right time, but really being the one person responsible for all the work on behalf of the client so that I was the account person, like I said, my skill set lied in that. But also the strategic lead. And so I would be responsible for doing all that upfront brand strategy work, making sure it went all the way through, but then being the partner with the client so that they didn't have any of that frustration with the people they were working with. And so I think, you know, I, I'm i not I wouldn't say a huge risk taker necessarily. My pr- approach is always going to be pragmatic. But I think what drove me to that point of difference or that saleability was taking a look like Ann said at all the things that I felt like I'd accomplished and the way I had approached things and then thinking, what's next in that journey to do it better? And therefore, that's how Threadly was originally born and ultimately what led me to Anne when I wanted the next opportunity.
0: Usually, we talk about a brand that has done this well, or in some cases, a brand that has not done this well. But since this is more of kind of the entrepreneurial checklist of the journey, we thought maybe we would talk a little bit about um, what we feel like we've done well in our journey that could have a lot of benefit to you as you guys are thinking about your journey. Um, And and this is independent, but also uh, together. So um, April, I'll let you start with this one first is uh, what do you think you've done well in the journey and your entrepreneurial journey that
1: has been pivotal for you as you've progressed? Sure. So, this may or may not come as a surprise, depending on how well you know me, but I tend to be a perfectionist. And I would say that when I was young, this was like real bad, like to the point of like, oh, no, I don't look like like how that E looks on that sheet that I was working on. So I'm going to rewrite the entire sheet of paper to make sure that it's perfect. So I say that just to point out that had I let that Get in the way of my development and growth from, yes, very early on, but also just as I progressed in my career, I had to start to kind of let some of that go. And so I talk often about the 80 for the 20 rule, but I think a lot of my growth was what is absolutely critical to what I'm doing and what can kind of be let go. And As I was going to take on more, learn new skills, do new things, coach team members, become a membership of the leadership team, my time doesn't change, right? And so I would have to coach myself (laughs) to let things fall away that weren't going to have any major impact on what I was doing so that I could move myself and everything I was doing forward. And as I look back on that, I just think. I didn't do it necessarily super consciously. I think it just became like, well, shoot, I have this many hours and now what am I going to do? But it really could have led to like a paralysis that only got me to a certain point. And now I think the part that I leverage to combat that is really my intuitiveness. And when I feel myself compelled to make something perfect, I check myself and think, is this really going to matter or is it not? And it's just become so much of my own feedback loop and what I've asked of others that it allows me to manage and continue to grow beyond that inclination to make sure it's exactly right.
0: For me, it was, you know, you may be down, but you're not out. Um, and uh, that was been my philosophy since I started. Um, and uh you know, you, you'll have a lot of starts and stops. It's just the nature of the business. You'll think you're, you know, you're hitting it on all cylinders and all of a sudden, you know, the uh, COVID hits and, you know, everything kind of dries up. I mean, you just never know what where life's going to take you. And that's an extreme example, but there are, you know, within that starts and stops. Um, but I think the thing that um, was really helpful for me, um, and this is understanding and talking to a lot of people who have been through the journey and are going through the journey, is that, if this is not for the week, if you're going to take everything and it's going to become a personal battle of being able to see the silver lining or the forest through the trees or whatever your favorite metaphor is, it you may not be ready to be an entrepreneur. Um, you have to be able to have that you know that ability to kind of see that this is a journey and this is a a process. So, I think for me it was um. Just being able to recognize that for what it is, recognize that everybody has been through this at one point, and that if you can see yourself to the next step, you're making progress. And so the down and not out thing was always a... I think a um symbol for me that a failure is just a learning in disguise mm-hmm. and so you have to inter- internalize that you have to expect that you have to know that it's coming and you got to realize it's just an opportunity to pivot and that's really what the world is telling you. So if you could take it in that framework that it's data it's it's you know it, it it's it's telling you like what a new opportunity may be, um, then you it becomes a better process for which to really just kind of go with the journey. It Usually requires a lot of wine, but you know it's <laughs> sometimes that's what you got to do in order to uh, in, in order to uh, push through it. Um, so that was the one thing I think that I've uh, I've done well in this journey that um, I'm pretty proud of.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody. So that is part one of the entrepreneurial journey or becoming a freelancer. So please look forward to part two. And uh, we'll go through a little bit more of the steps of, uh, kind of the operation of promotion of, um, once you have your business established, then what do you go do with it? And until then, go take a look at some of these steps, get started and
1: exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend, and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.